0: Hello everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of the Bean and Lop podcast. I'm your host Addy Roy, and today we're going to be talking about space, extraterrestrial life, and evolution. But before that, as this is the first episode, I'd like to give you peeps some background information about what this podcast actually is, and why I decided to start it. First of all, I love to talk. All my friends know it, I never seem to shut up. As well as that, I seem to know a lot of random things, so I thought I'd share them with the world and anyone that really wants to know. This podcast is going to be filled with random, bizarre and obscure information that may make you question your very existence. Well, maybe not that deep, but certain topics that I'd love to explore over the course of the next couple of months include the rise of the tote bag, whether or not Lightning McQueen needs car insurance or life insurance, and why a building is called a building if it's already been built. Now, I'm not going to make any promises, but hopefully I can talk about some of these fascinating facts. Th- think of it like a conversation between you and me. Just let me do all the talking. Anyway, without further ado, let's begin the very first episode of Bead and Lop. The Fermi Paradox. So, what is the Fermi Paradox? Named after Enrico Fermi, the Fermi Paradox is the idea that if aliens or extraterrestrial life do indeed exist, well, well then where are they? Wouldn't we have heard by now? Would there not been some sort of attempt at communication? Or, or did they just think we smell like the Mars Rovers engines after a trip back from Olympus Mons? Well, to try to understand everything about the Fermi Paradox, we, we really need to go way back to the start before Enrico Fermi even thought about all this stuff. Instead, we need to explore the Chad of a man known as Konstantin Eduardovich Tsiolkovsky. Now, apologies if I pronounce that wrong, but this man was sipping something much louder than the rest of the Brotherhood, and his beard would put most of these TikTokers to shame. Yes, I'm a little bit jealous, but... Tsiolkovsky spent most of his life out in a log house in the outskirts of Kaluga. His bizarre and eccentric personality had him branded as a recluse by the rest of the townsfolk, which is actually quite interesting if you think about it. Having been alienated by his town and people, that wasn't the only alien-related part of his life. Tsiolkovsky was a big part of the chain of events that led to the development of the Soviet space program and is commonly included as a founding father of modern rocketry and astronautics. But before all of that, he released an unpublished article in 1933. A short section from this article reads, People deny the presence of intelligent beings on the planets of the universe because, one, if such beings exist, they would have visited Earth And two, if such civilizations existed, then they would have given us some sign of their existence. This was not a paradox for others who took this simply to imply the absence of extraterrestrials, but it was for him, since he believed in extraterrestrial life and the possibility of space travel. This conflicted state of thoughts was the first seed of the idea that later became known globally amongst the scientific community as the Fermi Paradox. Now whilst it can never be known for sure who would have had this idea to start with, Tsiolkovsky was definitely a big driving force, but fast forward a couple decades and someone else decided to take this seed and plant it into a fully grown tree. Enrico Fermi was an Italian physicist that is now imprinted forever in human history for his incredible achievements, including building the first ever nuclear reactor and also helping to create the world's biggest mass murderer, the atomic bomb. In the summer of 1950, at Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico, Fermi and his co-workers were having a casual conversation over lunch. Now I couldn't really figure out what exactly they were eating, but it must have been some peng like some chicken thighs from 1950 Nando's, as this conversation is what famously led to the lithification of Fermi's name in the subject of this video, the Fermi Paradox. Whilst walking to the get to the canteen for their ever so well-deserved lunch break, Fermi and his mates decided to discuss the recent UFO reports in the widespread media and their scientific opinion regarding them. As good mates do, they had a little bit of back and forth banter about light speed travel in space and also an attempt at quantizing the likeliness of extraterrestrial life. You know, just as we all do. But it was during this conversation when Fermi, with stars in his eyes, screamed So where are they? Where is everybody? Do you ever wonder where they are? The result of this question was in fact dumbfounded laughter because his colleagues knew exactly that he was referring to extraterrestrial life. Now, This was just one of many lunchtime conversations which led to Fermi making his own set of calculations that led him to believe we ought to have been visited long ago, and many times over. Now, Fermi went on to take part in the controversial Manhattan Project and later passed away from cancer in 1954, however the question that this man posed became something of a legend. I think he was a pretty cool bloke, but you can look him up on Wikipedia if you want a more in-depth analysis. One of Fermi's colleagues, Edward Teller, went on to state that not much really came out of these conversations, except perhaps a statement that the distances to the next location of living beings might be quite, quite great. And that indeed, as far as our galaxy is concerned, we might be living out in the boonies, somewhere far away from the metropolitan galactic center hub of things. And as you can imagine, This is not a very humans are at the centre of the world type of topic. And if this was the middle ages, I'd probably get slowly tortured by the church. Yeah. Anyways, moving onwards and forwards from that. In 1975, Michael H. Hart published what has to be one of the first ever detailed examinations of the Fermi paradox. He argued that if intelligent extraterrestrials exist and are capable of space travel, then the galaxy could have been colonized in a time much less than that the age of the earth. But the question still remains, where are they? And that, my dear friends, is why this is a paradox. There are no true answers. Well, that's it for this video. I hope you enjoy the next one. Ah, You really think, you really think that I'm going to leave you empty-handed. Bruh, sit back, grab a snack. The film starts now. Let's dive further into the actual paradox itself. Allow the old forefathers of physics and instead allow me to explain to you some of the reasoning behind this paradox. I guess you could call it headcanon, but whatever, this is the space DLC we're on about. The Fermi paradox can be phrased in many ways, but my personal favourites are these specific specific two questions. The first is, why are no aliens or their artefacts found here within our own solar system? If interstellar travel is possible, even the slow kind within the realms of technology that we have on Earth, then it would only take like this is again this is just my estimate but 5 million to 50 million years to colonize the entire galaxy. Now I did GCSE geology so don't mind me saying this but this is pretty small on a geological scale of time let alone a cosmological one. Since there are many stars older than the sun and since intelligent life might have evolved earlier elsewhere, the question then becomes why the galaxy hasn't been colonized already? Even if colonization is impractical or undesirable to all alien civilizations, Large-scale exploration of the galaxy can still be possible by probes. But where are the probes? No one knows. And perhaps no one will. Except probably Mark Zuckerberg, who's been stealing all their private data. And I don't even know. He's definitely not sharing everything with us, but whatever. Anyways, the second question is, why do we see no signs of intelligence anywhere else in the universe? Now, this question is not just limited to our galaxy, but to other galaxies as well. For distant galaxies, immense travel times could potentially explain the lack of alien visits to Earth. But a sufficiently advanced civilization could potentially be observable to us from telescopes or some sign of movement could be somewhat detectable. But there are no signs, no signs at all. So let's talk about numbers then. What is the actual probability? Well I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Do you want the good or bad first? You know what, why am I even asking? The good news is we have an equation to understand the probability. The bad news is we don't have the values for the equation. And I'm not talking about simple things like find x in a quadratic equation. What I'm talking about is an equation formulated by Frank Drake in 1961. Can you guess the name? It's the Drake equation. And no, not like the rapper please don't start singing God's plan. The Drake equation was created by Dr. Frank Fra- France, no, what am I on about? Created by Dr. Frank Drake in 1961. In an attempt to rationalise and evaluate the considerable considerable probability for the existence of alien or extraterrestrial life, the equation is as follows: N equals R times FP times NE times FL times FI times FC times L. Now, as I'm sure you, I'm sure this is going through your head, but this means nothing unless we actually break it down like a beat on an eighties dance floor. So, what does each letter stand for? We're going to go through it. N, or the result, is the number of technologically advanced civilizations in the Milky Way galaxy. So we, the humble, selfish, grotty, filthy excuse of a civilization would add to this number. Anyways, probably moving on. R is the rate of the formation of stars in the galaxy, or in English, how long it takes for a star to be born. Fp is the fraction of those stars with planetary systems. N-E is the number of planets per solar system with an environment suitable for organic life. FL is the number of those planets that life would actually appear on. FI is the fraction of inhabitable planets that intelligent life appears. Not just little bacterium swimming in pools of amino acids, but actual intelligent life. So not like any of you. No, I'm joking, I'm sure you're all smart. Mm-hmm. FC is the fraction of civilizations that actually reach the level of technology where you can detect external signals like radio waves, Essentially, it's the number of civilizations that would end up asking the same questions as us and have a means of tele- telecommunications to follow it up. And last of all, L is the length of time that it would take for these signals to, be- to reach us. Now, whilst that might have made your brain hurt a little, the funniest part about the Drake Equation is, <laughs> well, it's pretty useless. <laughs> the last four terms are not quantifiable, we, we don't know how likely it is for life to appear on a planet, let alone for it to be intelligent, we don't know anything about how long it would take a civilization to reach the level of technology that we have here on earth, we only have one known record and that's humans on earth and that's not even up to date, so nothing to really compare to if you get me, in, in fact we don't really know much about life in general, what is it to be alive? Science tells us anything undergoing the seven life processes, I'm sure you've heard of Mrs. Nurg or Mrs. Gren. is it alive, but what does that really mean? Now I'm going to stop talking, as I fear this may end up becoming an episode of Black Mirror, but the point that is important to understand is, in order to understand life beyond Earth, we should, we should probably understand what life actually is a little bit better. <laughs> well, anyway, while somewhat useless, the Drake Equation was actually used in the first SETI meeting. Um, some of you may know, but SETI stands for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And this first meeting had some big names, including Frank Drake and Carl Sagan. Well, they use this equation that we don't really know anything about to base that there could be roughly between 1,000 and 100 million civilizations in our galaxy, the Milky Way alone. But as explained before, this is not by any means a true figure. As the last four terms of the Drake equation need to be somewhat improvised. Like this literally tells us nothing. But it also tells us everything think about those last four terms. Understanding and appreciating how difficult it is for abiogenesis to to, or the process from which life itself originates to take place can actually help us understand a few things. And this leads me onto a theory which actually fascinates me quite a bit. Whilst it's probably boring for most of you, you don't get a say, I'm going to talk about it anyway. What I'm going to talk about now is the great filter. An idea first proposed by mad lad economist Robin Hanson in 1996. Now I mentioned it briefly before, but you may not be familiar with the term. Abiogenesis is the process by which non-living matter becomes living. No one really knows how life really does originate, except from probably Tom Cruise because he doesn't age. But in all seriousness, the topic of the origin of life is a deep and interesting one. But that's where the great filter comes in. Now, I'm not talking about the best filter for you to use on Instagram or Snapchat, no, this is a different kind of filter. Think back to GCSE physics. When you pass light through different filters, each filter would produce a different outcome. But most importantly, filters are something which the subject passes through. In GCSE physics, that subject is light and something to do with the spectrum, but I I was never really interested in those long boring equations. Quite ironic because i just spent the last however many minutes talking about an equation that makes absolutely no sense but this time the subject isn't light this time the subject is life you see in order for life to develop some sort of intelligence there are certain filters that need to be passed you can think of these filters more like checkpoints the first great filter is life itself the whole concept of abiogenesis is a massive filter as we don't really know how common it is but obviously we as humans have passed this first filter and we've gone on from measly unicellular eukaryotes in the oceans to highly intelligent multicellular organisms that spend roughly six hours scrolling insta and tiktok every day obviously not speaking for myself but hey ho so if life itself is the first great filter well then what's the second well that's the problem we have no real way of identifying these checkpoints that make intelligent life so difficult to achieve. Now, what I'm about to say is pretty much my opinion. So I, take, I wouldn't take everything from here on out with a grain of salt. I mean, I'd actually prefer you to take it with a whole cube of Himalayan rock salt. as And not just this episode in particular. Everything I say in this entire podcast is my opinion. <laughs> and I'm putting it on the internet. Wow. Anyway, back to the topic. There are certain checkpoints beyond Abiogenesis that we can use humans as an example of, that other life forms need to cross in order to become intelligent to the context where they can utilize technology to at least the scale of what we have. It's important to make this distinction. It's not about life in general, it's about intelligence that enables utilization of technology. I mean, dolphins are some of the smartest life forms, but that doesn't really mean anything as they don't have the same access of technology in their daily lives. You know what, maybe that's the Fermi Paradox debunked, maybe the Milky Way is just filled with dolphins that just don't know how to communicate with each other. But anyway, what I'm trying to get onto is the steps needed to access technology. Now in my opinion, there's one invention of sorts that absolutely acts as a vital checkpoint, and may, may or may not be the defining filter in the Great Filter Theory, and that invention is... fire. In order for life to advance beyond its primitive stages, the first step in the domino chain of reactions that will lead to the development of a time machine that can save Harambe's death and the inevitable apocalypse is the creation of fire. Fire leads to everything, it's the key. By using fire, our ancestors could create a set of tools that turned humans into the ultimate apex predator. I mean, the tool DLC was so broken and it legit hasn't been nerfed in over two millennia, and fire was the first stepping stone. So, how was fire discovered? Well, if you know who banged the rocks first, please let me know. But what's more important is the process. Humans have a pair of limbs that separate us from our intelligent dolphin friends. Our hands. Humans have an insane level of dexterity and it's what enabled us to clash those two stones that ignited the first spark. And then the rest is history. So essentially what I'm trying to say from all this is my headcanon great filter theories I mean, fire and hands are some of the most important checkpoints, and we've already crossed them. Even though animals like dolphins display good levels of intelligence, their manual dexterity and the fact they require water as their habitat will prevent them from ever evolving to that status. But then again, who am I to say that? Who knows, maybe in the future we'll have dolphin men who make weird water fire, or who knows, maybe shark boy and lava girl will become a reality. You're probably sick and tired of my voice now, but I want to talk about one final topic in relation to the great filter theory. Till now I've explained how fire and manual dexterity are just two of potential billions of checkpoints that need to be crossed for intelligent life to be able to access technology. And how we humans have crossed that checkpoint thousands of years ago. But let's just let's just take a step back. Let's let's think for a moment. We live in a world of endless conflict, climate change and plastic entering our food chain. What if the true great filter is not something we have crossed, but is something we are yet to cross? What if the great filter is actually ahead of the path that humanity is walking on, and when we reach it, it all ends. Boom. Just like that. Is it the nature of intelligent life to destroy itself? Is it the nature of intelligent life to destroy others? Will we run out of natural resources and then bid farewell to the world and just shower everyone in nukes? I'm sorry, but this is something I actually do lack the foresight to explain. But hopefully, the true Great Filter was something basic like listening to this podcast or checking my music out on Spotify, because if you haven't done it already, you're missing out. That's all I'm saying. Link in bio. You better subscribe. Anyways, I want to thank you so much for sticking around to the end and listening to me talk. I really hope you enjoyed this and there's more to come. So take care and hopefully I'll I'll see you in the next episode. don't want to give away too much but it's going to be called the rise of the tote bag so it's one you definitely don't want to miss and thank you so much for listening until next time